Welcome to the Slay Podcast with Leanne Gabriel. Listen in as she leads and empowers with stories of inspiring women making a difference in today's world. Good afternoon, Slay family. Welcome back to another exciting Tuesday. And today we are going to have a very powerful, very informative, educational conversation that I think is so important for all women in this country to participate in. We are going to talk about Roe v. Wade and the recent overturning of that case in the Supreme Court. And our special guest today is our resident legal expert, none other than Elizabeth Green. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. And Elizabeth has been practicing law for over 25 years. She's out of the Baltimore area, and she is a partner at Pesson Katz, a fabulous law firm. Um, so before we begin today, though, I do want to take a minute because this is a very emotionally charged issue for everybody. And if you're watching this, I know you have an opinion because I don't know a female in this country that doesn't have an opinion. But we are not here today to discuss which opinion is correct, which side of the issue is right. We're not here for that reason at all. And wherever you are is exactly where you are and wherever the opposite side is exactly where the opposite side is. But what we're seeing is that overall, there is a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the case that went before the Supreme Court that ended up in this ruling, what it means, what the impact is. And we want you to be educated and empowered on the facts and then you can keep the emotional view of the issue, and that's a separate piece today, if that makes sense. So if you are going to comment today, watching this on either Facebook or YouTube, I encourage and really encourage you to do post questions, et cetera. I just ask that you do it regarding the topic at hand. Please don't be inflammatory or disrespectful to people who have a differing opinion than you. Our goal is that everybody learns today. So I'm sure if you could see me, you would say no problem. So we're going to just go with that. <laughs> so begin. Let's start, Elizabeth. Thank you for uh, letting me put my little disclaimer in here. Can you please um, start us off today? And let's talk about the case that went before the Supreme Court that ended up in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Can you take a minute? Because many people don't know anything about what that challenge was. They just think it was a general challenge of the legality of abortion. Sure. Thank you, Leanne. And, and, and I appreciate it because I enjoy talking about the legal aspects of things and, and pulling out um, personal emotions and just, just sort of figuring out what was and what wasn't. So the case is um, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. So you're probably going to hear people talk about Dobbs at times, um, or it could be Jackson Women's Health Organization. So what the, case, the, what the law in Mississippi was, was that except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, a person shall not intentionally or knowingly perform or induce an abortion um, of an, un, well, an abortion um, that is greater than 15 weeks. So the Mississippi law did not prohibit all abortions but what was different about, there were two really two differences in the Mississippi law than what had been previously understood to be the law of the country. One piece is that um, we've talked and it's, it's interesting when you look at the cases, the exact point at which states may um, begin to regulate abortion is, is actually not even completely clear. But previously it was talking about 
Certainly in the first trimester, there could be no regulation, probably until viability, there wasn't supposed to be regulation. Um, in, in some views, it might have been um, in, the, in the first trimester, no regulation, second, very minimal, and then um, third trimester, fairly substantial regulation was permitted. Um, and, and that comes from a series of cases that start with Roe and also include um, a, a case referred to as Casey. And um, so that's, I guess that's the starting point is we're looking at a law that just talks about regulating a, an abortion at 15 weeks as opposed to later, um, and not even prohibiting abortion, but, but regulating it. That being said, the court went a little bit further than simply permitting that law. And what the court really did, and we'll talk about it in, in depth, is had an analysis of the case law of the constitution of different amendments and said, we don't agree with the reasoning that was used in Roe, Casey, and some other cases. And what we really think is that this is an issue that is best left to the states to decide. So that's frightening for a lot of people because one law, um, whether we like it or not, is there's more certainty. Um, there is a lot of talk about equal protection, and I'll explain what that is in a second, um, but the unfairness of where you live having an impact on what law might apply to you, um, that's a concern that people have. But it's not that the court said abortion is no longer permissible. Um, really, it was just sent back to the states for the states to come up with their own laws. Some states, I'm sitting in Maryland, as are you, um, already had laws on the books that would codify the right to abortion in various different um, stages should the federal law be revoked. Um, and some states had laws in effect that immediately or that would immediately come into effect that put severe restrictions on abortion. So for about um, two thirds of the states, I think, there are laws that were triggered by the Dobbs opinion. And so right now there's sort of a scrambling to figure out what does your state say? Yeah. Does your state say anything? And if not, can we get something on the ballot to say one way or the other, whatever it is that we want it to say to regulate or not regulate abortion in, in some way? Um, now, uh, this is incredible. And for people who are not super familiar with the law of federal versus state. I want to jump in and, you know, ask a couple questions if that's okay. So, cause you're an expert. So, you know, <laughs> uh, when there are laws passed, there are laws that exist in just the state. And then there are laws that blanket the country and some are based on the constitution. So that would be a federal law. There's something written in the constitution that is a protected right, privilege, et cetera. And based on that, there is a federal law that blankets everywhere. And then there's some things that are not considered constitutional, and those would be state to state. So before we go to the next part, can you just take a second and comment about this case and Roe v. Wade and the piece of the Constitution and whether it is a federal state issue, just to kind of break that down for people who maybe aren't as familiar with that? Sure. So one of the things that the court in 
Dobbs did in its analysis is it really said that, and, and I think I need to go off for one second to talk Please. about yeah. a concept called stare decisis. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is that courts generally give great deference and respect to previous opinions. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the questions that's been asked of all of the justices as they've been going through their hearings, will you respect settled law? And I and and what has happened is in this opinion, they said, while it is settled law, we do still have the right to look back at the reasoning. And in the opinion of this court, when the court in Roe engaged in its analysis, and I'll explain more about this, they were acting like a legislature. So to answer some of your question, there's even more to go to. So how were they acting? How is it federal versus state? So federal law, we're looking at the Constitution. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're looking at the, the Constitution and the different amendments. There are a lot of different amendments that are referred to and implicated by these decisions. Um, the biggest one, there are the sort of, well, one of the ones that, that is brought out is the First Amendment. People talk about a First Amendment right to privacy. Mm -hmm. So what does the First Amendment say? It does not say we are guaranteed a right to privacy. <laughs> um, the First Amendment um, prevents the government from making laws that regulate establishment, establishment of religion, mm -hmm. free exercise of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, or the right to petition the government for redress of a grievance to sue or, or whatever it might be. So nowhere in the First Amendment does it say we have a right to privacy, though people think that that's what the First Amendment says. Um, there's also a Ninth Amendment, which is brought up in some of these cases. The Ninth Amendment says that the um, that that the Constitution may not deny certain. Well, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So, what does that mean? Basically, if you're given a right, they can't take it away. Mm -hmm. Does, not terribly helpful um, in terms of figuring out what this means, but that's what that is. And then we have the 14th Amendment, which I think personally is probably um, one of the most important ones in a lot of ways. And it's referred to as equal protection frequently. So the portion of the 14th Amendment that is most relevant is the one that says that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. So states can't restrict um, US citizens, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. So what's due process? <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, and that's Whenever we do a constitutional analysis, there's just this tremendous amount of unpacking involved. Um, so due process basically gets to, you know, are we are we taking away your right for no reason mm -hmm. um, without any justification? Or does the does the government, state or federal, have an interest in whatever might be going on? That has historically been um, implicated when talking about these so-called rights to privacy. And when I say so-called, I'm not trying to say we don't have them, but just sure. the, the, the class of 
issues that fall under a right to privacy. So what are some of those rights? And why are people now really, really scared about not just the abortion question, but all sorts of other questions? Because historically, and I just realized I've gone off on a complete tangent, I apologize. Well, this is fabulous, um, keep going, keep going. <laughs> historically, um, and if you look at the reasoning, if I don't know why anybody would want to, but if you pick up these cases and you actually read them, um, there's a lot of talk about the right to make a decision to have children or not have children, the right to get married or to live to, you know, how you're gonna live. Um, a lot of the things that have to do with how we literally live our lives are all included in this idea of a right to privacy. The government has no right in my bedroom, to come into my bedroom. Yeah. The, the government has no right to tell me how I'm supposed to educate my child. Well, wait a second, the government does have a right to tell me a little bit about how to educate my child. Um, they, can, they can set minimal limits on the education of my child. And actually that's probably a good place to look at state versus federal. So, Every child federally is entitled to a public education. Mm -hmm. But the states implement that. They get money from the federal government. And because they get money from the federal government, the federal government has a level of regulation they can put on there because if you're taking money from the federal government, you have to listen to some of their rules. But it's really the states that, that, that are determining much of the education in the public school system and to some extent in the private school system. Every state has different rules. One state decides you need three years of science. Another state set in high school. Another state may say, no, we're really good with two years of science in high school. One state may say, you need to take a series of exams in every year in order to get through, to be passed forward in, in each year. Another state may say, eh, no, we're good. We're, we're good with you're just taking whatever the, the classes are and the exams at the end of the year and you don't have to take some sort of like regent exam that's that's standardized testing. Um, and and we accept that we accept that if I have if I live in a particular county in Maryland, my kids may get a much better public school education than if I live in a different county. Sure. And if I live in Maryland versus living in Virginia or North Carolina, my kids may learn different things because we've allowed the states to figure out this is what we're going to put out there for our the students of our of our state. And there's a minimal level where the states even can regulate a private school education and say, okay, no matter what, you have to do X, Y, or Z. We're not going to tell you what the components of your history course have to be, but you need to get your kids to a certain minimal level of knowledge in order for them to be given a degree that the state in which you live is going to respect. So let's take that to this discussion. Please, yes. If we are talking about federal funds for abortion, the federal government has an interest in regulating whether um, an abortion may be given, might not be given, what the, what the standards are. And so one place that might be implicated by this decision is what Medicare and Medicaid decide to cover for abortion. Many of us may remember that President Obama decided 
well, I mean, he didn't alone, but <laughs> put it under his administration, um, certain birth control became free. There was no longer, no um, insurance company was permitted to charge for certain types of contraception. And there's been a lot of talk since Dobbs about how we can, in the interim, as we're figuring out what the states are going to do and what's going to happen, can we um, amplify the ability for women to access contraception and, and use that as one way of addressing the fact that it is clearly more difficult for many women in many states to obtain an abortion. Um, so federal funds are a way that the federal government can get involved in what otherwise might be a state law issue. So I'll date myself a little bit here. I remember that there was a time when the drinking age across the country was 18. Um, I will date myself and say that I was still too young. Um, and then at some- You're dating yourself in a good way, not a bad right, way. Right, in a good yeah. way. Um, and then at some point it became 21. But there were different states had different rules. Yes. And one of my brothers went to school in North Carolina. And when he was a freshman, he was able to drink. And when he was a sophomore, he was not able to drink. <laughs> and when he was a junior, he was able to drink um, because, <laughs> he, or a senior, whatever it was, because yes. the, the, what happened was, it's not that the federal government said every state must raise their drinking age to 21, but they said, if you don't, you won't get federal funding. Um, it had to do with, with highways, I think. So that's how, that's the, the, you know, the, the muscle that the federal government can exhibit over something that is still considered a state right. And that's why this opinion, um, while it right now sends everything to the states, and there's a lot of concern because different states have different rules mm -hmm. and different um, ways of looking at it, we don't know what the federal government is going to do. And there's a lot of talk by people in the federal government about what they might be able to do. So why is that okay? We just said, the, the, the Supreme Court said, this is not a federal government issue. This is something that elected representatives in states ought to be dealing with. The, the Supreme Court should not be making this decision about whether it's okay or not. We're gonna send it back to the states. But what happens, we have this concept of separation of powers. We've got our courts and our courts do look at laws and whether the laws should be upheld or not. Congress or in a state, the, the local legislature, they set the laws. And as long as the laws don't conflict with some other existing right, that can be what the law of the state or of the, the land becomes. And so if Congress decides that this is an issue that they feel should be regulated on the federal level, they're gonna have to come up with the right justifications for regulating it on the federal level. Um, and, and I don't know what those will be. Sometimes we have um, they, you know, they could look at the equal protection laws and say that it's that there's an undue burden on people that don't have enough money to travel to other states. They could look at, I mean, there are lots of things they could do. And it's very possible that a law could be passed and run up to the federal government, uh, to the Supreme Court and thrown out and they have to start over again. 
um, because that's how, how our country was established, that things have to be done in a certain way. And, um, but I don't think that people should assume that this means that there will never be a law of the land again. It's just that right now we've sent it back to the states and, and we've got these two thirds of the states or so that have laws and they're very different. And, and I think that you know, there's been a lot in the news about horrific situations, very young children who have become pregnant, of course, um, and he's not listening, so I don't have to embarrass him. My husband said a 10-year-old can become pregnant. Um, but, um, you know, of young children who have become pregnant, of the concern of, um, of women who have been raped or of other sorts of situations, those make the news really quickly. Um, for many women, if they then look at the laws in their state, even the restrictive laws, they may discover, oh, wait, it actually, a lot of what we're worried about is permitted. It's just yeah. not as broad a permission as was there under Roe and Casey. So I think, Leanne, if you don't mind, it's important to go back to look for a second, what actually was the law a month ago? Please do that. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful you're doing this because uh, you know, I have, I'm blessed to have some great friends in my life and I have some friends that are very pro-life and I have some friends that are very pro-choice and, you know, they're, they're both sides are my friends. And I've just heard conversations of people saying things and I'm like, that's not what happened on either side. You know, some people are going, you know, abortion is now illegal everywhere. I'm like, no, it's not. And the case that went as you just illustrated, was not even making it illegal in that state. It was changing the time and the circumstances that a woman could have it. But on the flip side, I've heard the other side say a bunch of stuff and I'm like, that's not what happened either. You know what I mean? So for both sides, it's so much emotion in it that I'm grateful you're taking the time to break this down. So at least people understand, even though there's still gonna be emotional, what it is. So please continue with exactly where you were going. So in 1973, we had the case of Roe v. Wade, um, and as I'm sure most most of the women listening know, the you know part of the interesting thing is that the woman who, um, on whom the you know the Roe um, had actually she passed the point where she could have had an abortion, the baby was born, um, but the the court still allowed it to go forward because at the time she certainly was impacted by the statute that existed, mm -hmm. and it was a Texas law that criminalized abortion um, except on the medical advice for the purpose of saving a mother's life. So that was what the Texas law was that came before the Supreme Court back in 1973 or the 73 opinion. And what, um, what the court determined was that for the stage prior to approximately very, you know, clear language, approximately the end of the first trimester, the abortion decision and its effectuation must be left to the medical judgment of the pregnant woman's attending physician. So essentially, first trimester, no regulation at all. Mm -hmm. For the stage subsequent to the approximation of the end of the first trimester, the state, um, 
in promoting its interest in the health of the mother may, if it chooses, regulate the abortion procedure in ways that are reasonably related to maternal health. And then um, from viability on, the court may choose to regulate or even prescribe abortion, except when necessary in appropriate medical judgment for the preservation of the life or health of the mother. So really nothing in the first trimester, sometime between the first trimester and viability, which seems to have been accepted to be 28 weeks under this line of reasoning, um, you know, some regulation if the, if the state wants it, and then after that viability, the state could actually just simply prohibit it. Um, so it was still <clears throat> a state-specific law. What's happened is they've un, un pulled away the federal wrapping around that. So then in 1991, the court was presented with um, another case, and it was from Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and it's referred to as Casey, yes. um, who is the name of the governor. And, and what's very interesting about Casey is it was not actually really about having an abortion. It was all about informed consent. Um, and so it was a question of whether the state law, which required several points where a, a, a woman, things that a woman had to do before she could obtain a, a an abortion. She needed to give her informed consent prior to the procedure. She needed at least 24 hours after she gave her informed consent to, so basically after she was told what was going on, in terms of the abortion, it had to wait 24 hours before having the abortion. Um, a minor had to have the informed consent of, of one parent, but there was a judicial bypass procedure. A married woman had to have sign a statement notifying or um, affirming that she had notified her husband. And, um, but medical emergencies would excuse compliance with that. Um, and then there were some, some reporting requirements put on, on um, the, the facilities. So all the court was deciding in Casey officially was can we regulate can a state put regulations in place that require a woman to go through certain steps before she can have an abortion? Mm -hmm. That had nothing to do with the point at which the abortion could happen. Um, and so I think it's very interesting because that court, which is referred to as affirming Roe, and they, they weren't really considering um, the underlying issues. And, and much of actually much of the Pennsylvania law was in fact upheld. Um, the requirement that a woman um, notify her husband was struck down. Um, and um, they, they looked at each of those issues and decided whether it was reasonable to put that, those are reasonable restrictions to put on a, on a woman. But what, but what happened is the Casey court had a lot of language that talked about how important the right to abortion was and um, that a state should not put an undue burden on a, a woman 
in obtaining uh, um, an abortion, they actually expanded the right. Um, and so while that wasn't a consideration in the law that they were that they were looking at, um, it says, you know, Roe's rigid trimester framework is rejected. Um, talked, did talk about viability again and, and reaffirmed that. So that's where where Casey was, was looking at, you know, yeah, it's reasonable to require a minor to get consent of a parent as long as they can go to a court um, to, to bypass that because we certainly don't want to put children in harm's way in any situation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then Casey also expanded and said, you know, a woman's interest in having an abortion is a form of liberty protected by the due process clause. Real big language, um, really big language and, and really going beyond what absolutely had to be considered because the justices cared, <laughs> um, you know, it was an issue. Yeah. Then it was a hot button issue. Now it's a hot button issue. Always a hot button issue. Right. 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 And so, That's never going to change. <laughs> it's never going to change because, and, but, but I think that, um, so, so talking again, and I apologize, I could really just talk forever. Um, no, the, the, fabulous. So don't apologize, please. This, this idea of due process, we have two different kinds of due process rights. We have those that are written into the constitution and we have those that are considered fundamental rights. And that's where politically and philosophically, we sometimes get to a different place depending on, forget the personal opinions of the judges, whether a judge it has is of a religion that prohibits abortion or permits abortion, whether a judge is, um, you know, cares one way or the other personally about those pieces we also layer on top of that judges looking at what does due process protect? Is the constitution a document where if it doesn't say right to abortion in this document, it doesn't exist? Or are we willing to look? And I think that to some extent, every justice allows some level of looking and saying, okay, there are certain things that like they just didn't put it in there, but they meant to. Um, or they meant for it, it it's was just, implied. yeah, right. It's so basic that of course that right would have been guaranteed. Um, but, but we have some of that also happening is that we have justices, again, I'm not talking about people's religious preferences or their, or their thoughts about when life begins, but really is the constitution a living document, one that changes with the times or one that we really have to look back to what was happening. And it's actually fascinating. It is. And you know, Elizabeth, if you don't mind me saying, uh, tell me if this is a correct, uh, a correct summary of, of kind of what we're looking at. When the Supreme Court gets these cases, there, there's the issue of whether the Constitution includes this and whether it is something the federal government should be involved in at all. And I think sometimes people will look at who gets placed on the court and because they have an opinion one way or the other, I agree with you, those people are pretty serious, but they're not looking at it that way. Now, sometimes people who are um, more conservative tend to think the government should be more hands-off on everything and it should be more state, more state decisions and that overall the government is too involved in people's lives. And sometimes people who are on the less conservative side 
think, well, the government has to come in and be more of a protective force to take care of people. So all that's kind of wrapped in, but it seems like with, with Roe v. Wade, with Casey, with Dobbs, all of this was never about whether abortion is legal or not legal. It was more about, is it, con is it protected in the constitution? Do you have a right to this? And should the government on a federal basis be involved? Is that a safe? I, I think it is. I mean, I think that also it's, it. I mean, there, there was some talk about where it is appropriate. I guess that's really before Dobbs, the question is when may the, may the federal government, no, the federal government is determining when um, a state may regulate abortion. Mm -hmm. Now, the only thing that's changed is that after Dobbs, they've said it's not the federal government that should be determining when a state may regulate abortion, but rather states should determine if and when they may regulate abortion. And, and as you know, you, you commented on people taking it, it, this is personal and it's hard sometimes to set aside personal experiences, personal feelings. Um, you know, we've got this story here, we know this, but, yeah. but and, and then on top of, on top of that, you know, there's always something on top of, of something else, um, you get the concerns. And this is, I think, something that more social organizations are very concerned about is, okay, so on its face, this may be a completely fair law, but does it have an undue burden? Does it, is it unfair to those who are less educated, have less money, have yes. less of an ability to travel, don't understand whatever it may be? Um, the federal government has not said, the Supreme Court did not say, you may, you state, shall not protect those you know who are deemed to be more in need of protection but rather it said states need to figure that out on their own and i think that's what's going to happen i think there's going to be a lot um going on in washington trying to figure out what can be done um, i've heard a, i think i may have said this before but you know i've heard a tremendous amount about um increasing access to um to contraception I think that there will probably be a big emphasis on education, which is a good thing. You know, education. Yeah, I, mean, I think everybody on both sides would agree it's better not to have the unwanted pregnancy than any of this. I mean, that's the ideal situation, which obviously is not going to always take place. Right. And, and I think that that's why it's easier to focus on those really scary ones, the ones where it is an unwanted and unintended and through no fault on any level of the woman. Yes. Um, any sort of, of a situation where she's something's forced upon her. But we're gonna see the states come up with their, their own ideas. And I'm sure it's gonna go back up and down in the courts, even more the different state opinions. And there I'm, you know, it could be that 15 years from now or 20 years from now, we're gonna have another Supreme Court decision that looks at regulation as well. And um, and as long as we all step back and understand that we need to look at what's the legal piece and what's just the emotional piece. Sure. Uh, that's, that's, I think, 
the 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 really important thing. And and I I I like so much, Leanne, that you started off by saying that we need to approach this all in a very respectful manner because um we don't get anywhere unless we're respectful. Um, we don't. And and you know, I believe that people are never going to agree on this. And, you know, especially as women, we need to support each other, even if we disagree. So, you know, attacking people who have a different viewpoint doesn't forward any of us. Correct. Um, and, and that's why both you and I are not discussing our opinion on any of this. It's just, <laughs> it's just a legal thing. But what's interesting also is, you know, I was um, speaking with someone and she said abortion was illegal. And I said, it's actually not illegal. And I said, even the case that had gone to the Supreme Court, as you mentioned, it was 15 weeks. And in the case, God forbid, you know, a woman is raped or something, usually they're pretty quick if they have access, and that's an important distinction though, but if they have access to, you know, find out if they're pregnant, test that, go through all that. But then there is the issue of women who are shamed, hiding, don't have access to tests, money. And, and so, you know, you can see all of that. And some people will stand on a pedestal and go, well, it's 15 weeks, she would know by then and some people will go well maybe not you know and that is a whole mess we're not touching today so. right. right right and and i know a story and it's i think everybody would go like how on earth a young woman who had um broken up with her boyfriend and she just completely denied every aspect of her pregnancy to herself mm. um literally until she went to the hospital claiming she had very bad back pain and she had a baby. And we would say, that's smoke. crazy. Yeah. How on earth? She was an educated woman. How? Because we can't, you know, we don't, we don't understand the brain and we don't understand. So, so I think being judgmental um, never gets anybody anywhere. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you said, this, this particular Mississippi case, it, it does give, you know, a, a window um, and we'll have to look state by state at what the laws are. And some of them are going to have very extreme regulation. And some of them are going to have very minor restrictions on a woman's ability to obtain an abortion. Um, and, and, and even in Mississippi, they use, you know, the, they see severe fetal abnormality. They can go beyond that 15 weeks. I don't know how that's defined in Mississippi. Um, but I know that's often the concern is that at 15 weeks, you wouldn't be able to determine sure. certain um, things that might be going wrong in the pregnancy. And so, you know, I think, again, each state law is going to have to be examined to figure out what's permitted, what isn't, and um, how do we go, you know, how do we go about figuring out how we educate women on what their options are, what's out there, and um, you know, whether we, I think that truthfully, all of us are both pro-life and pro-choice, mm -hmm. just not as defined by those, those big labels. And so yeah. if we all approach it, that we are in favor of life and we are in favor of choice, we just need to look at how we, you know, how we get there and, and, um, and protect women and protect babies, <laughs> both. As, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of the states had the backup plan. They had the plan B. If it gets <laughs> overturned, there was already a law in that state 
so that if that federal piece went away, the state's like, okay, here's how we're handling. And some of that's already in place and some of it is not, but also there are elections. There are things that people can do, you know, to influence what's happening, um, you know, moving forward into the future with all of this. So uh, Elizabeth, I really thank you for keeping this objective, intellectual, educational, informative, and allowing people to understand historically where we've been and where we're going. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Well, thank you, Leanne. You know that I pretty much, if Leanne calls me, I'm going to do it. doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> God, God bless you for that one. Now, again, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, please feel free to post any questions or thoughts or anything you have regarding this. But again, please be respectful that there are people who are watching this that are have an opposing view. And again, my whole idea with this platform is to empower and uplift women. So I don't want to create a situation where we attack each other. Don't write anything disrespectful about somebody else's question or somebody else's viewpoint. You can express yourself, but be kind to each other in a situation like this. So again, Elizabeth, we appreciate you so much for your time and your knowledge and your legal expertise. Thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you for listening to the Slay Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to join our exclusive Facebook group, you can reach out to Leanne and her staff at slaywithlg at gmail.com. That's S-L-A-E with L-G at gmail.com.